Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We're kicking off a new series in Control, and I want to share with you the number one thing that God wants for us, and then I'm going to give you five steps to avoid exactly that. You heard me correctly. The number one thing that God wants for you and that God wants for me, and then five steps to avoid exactly that. Now, in Proverbs, there's in Proverbs is found in the Old Testament. There's a proverb, Proverb 19:21. It's found in the Old Testament, and I think it is a control freak's kryptonite. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart. Isn't that true? And even if you disagree with the latter part of this statement, have you ever noticed that the more that life seems like it's spinning out of control, the more we want to be in control? In other words, as we have a greater awareness of our lack of ability to influence certain things that happen to us in life, that there is also a greater desire stirring within us to have a greater influence in what happens to us in life. Check out these headlines. Death, disease, division, destruction, disease, death, division, destruction. If you've been on social media or watching the news, I mean, our headlines are filled with these four Ds, very often. And it can be depressing. It can just kill your energy and your desire to, oh, just another day of, of, of more disease, death, division, destruction. So, so let me ask you this. Who do you turn to or, or what do you turn to when you recognize that you're not in control? Who or what do you trust? When life seems like it's spinning out of control, who or what do you trust? We have a few options. If God doesn't exist, you might pursue power. You might say, uh, I'm going to pursue accolades and accomplishments because the greater that I achieve, uh, the more that I feel like I have more power to have more influence. And I feel like I have greater control over my life. If God doesn't exist, you might pursue pleasure. You know, the four Ds don't feel good. You know, death, disease, destruction, division. That doesn't feel good. So I'll find something or someone that will make me feel better. Or we might pursue purpose. Pursuing purpose apart from God is interesting. It usually looks like uh, moralism or in some cases philanthropy. You know, I've been given a lot, so I'm going to give back. And those things work well up until the point that you experience something that is tragic or unexplainable. And, and suddenly, no amount of success in your life can, can meet that, that hole that's, that's in your life from something difficult happening. Uh, and if that's your, your pursuit of purpose apart from God, the danger here is that you can eventually get to this place of, of life being, you know, pointless. Because if this is all that you have and then you just die, then, then what does it, does it matter? Additionally, what I would say is if, if you're in this camp of if God doesn't exist and you're pursuing purpose apart from God, you know, there are probably things in your life that you would say that are of value. I want to be a decent person. I want to treat other people well. I want to be generous and I want to be kind. I would ask you, you know, where do those principles come from? To trace it back and say, where do those, or those thoughts come from? Because it's not new thinking. In fact, it's thinking that's been around for, for many years and it's thinking that's found in both the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. Now, another point of consideration when it comes to who or what we trust when life is spinning out of control, as we would say, if God does exist, I'm going to trust my religion, or you might say, I'm going to lean into biblical Christianity and my trust in Jesus. Let's talk about the first option here, religion. We like religion because religion says the more that I do and the better that I do, the more that I receive or the better that I will receive. In other words, God is some cosmic slot machine. And if I have enough coins, I have nickels and dimes and quarters, and I keep putting the money into the, the machine, eventually all of the characters are going to line up and I'm going to hit the jackpot in life. Or that God is some, some divine genie. You know, we, we take the scripture of you, you need to ask for God, ask to God and, and, and you will receive. And it's like, oh, your wish is my command. Or religion says that the God is the equivalent of a balanced checkbook. And it's just about making sure that you have more in the positive category than the negative category. We like religion because religion says I can control God, that I have some input in my future because I can change my standing with God based on what I do in life. But biblical Christianity offers something different. Biblical Christianity says God cannot be controlled because he is in control. If you are being controlled by something or someone, by very definition, you are not in control. And what biblical Christianity says is that there's no one thing or one person that can control God because he is over all things. Now, the good news of the gospel is that it, it brings to us an awareness that we are, are sinful and we're wicked and flawed. And those are the sort of things that we don't want to spend much time thinking about. But it's pretty easy to see in our day-to-day -day actions that we are sinful beings. But the gospel also says that despite that, that through Jesus, uh, we are loved and cared for uh, and we are accepted and, and better than we could ever dream, hope, or imagine because of what Jesus accomplished through his, his sacrifice and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so ultimately what biblical Christianity suggests is this very important question. Will you trust him? Am I comfortable with God's control over my life? Am I comfortable with God being the ultimate authority in my life? You see, here's what's true about any relationship. Any relationship, in any relationship, your comfort will never outpace your confidence. In any relationship, your comfort will never outpace your confidence. Parents with teenage drivers at home, you understand this. Your level of comfort with your teenager getting behind the wheel of your family vehicle will never outpace your confidence and their ability to drive the family vehicle. And for those that are still being parented, you get this because your comfort with your parents or grandparents or whoever your guardian is, your level of comfort with them being around your friends will never outpace your confidence and their ability to not humiliate you or embarrass you. Managers in the workplace, you get this. Uh, your comfort with certain employees on the team that you lead will never outpace your confidence in their ability to get the job done that you hired them to do. Or coaches, you understand this, that when you put players on the field, your level of comfort with certain players in certain positions will never outpace your confidence and their ability to perform when their number's called. And the same can be said when it comes to our level of comfort with our creator and this idea that God is in control. It will never outpace our confidence in him. So let me tell you how this plays out. In this season, in the past six months, many people have experienced at least one of these, if not all three of these, at the exact same time. Fear, anxiety, 
and frustrations. Sound familiar? But what's interesting is if you follow the deep root, uh, the, the, the deep rooted uh, consequences of fear and you're, if you're, and, you're, and you're tracing it back and saying, where does this come from? If you follow it, what you're going to find and discover is some sort of confidence that is lacking in whatever it is that you trust. If it's not God, it's something or someone. Trace the fear in your life and you will discover some sort of confidence that is lacking. Same could be said of anxiety. Trace back the anxiety, pull back the layers, see, see where it takes you, and you're going to discover some sort of confidence that's lacking. Discover the frustrations in your life to really, you know, where is this coming from? You know, pull back the layers, follow it, trace it, ask questions, you know, be contemplative. Why do I feel this way? And ultimately, what you're going to discover is some sort of confidence that is lacking. Now, for those of you that, that maybe didn't grow up in church and, and you're not very familiar with the Bible, the story that we're going to look at this morning is, is a familiar account of the first humans and also the first marital conflict, uh, the story of Adam and Eve, the first humans. And it's found in the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament. We call that book Genesis. And the, the story, you know, just to pick up, God has created, and, and no, this isn't a sermon on an argument for the fact that God is creator. You know, great resources for you might be crossexamine.org or gotquestions.org. Today, I really want to clear up a misconception with this story. Uh, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. So God is in control. He's over the situation. And then this is important. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So it wasn't just that some trees were pleasing. All the trees, all the trees that God made out of the ground, these were trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then God provides some clear instruction to Adam. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, this is helpful to, to understand that, that from the beginning, what God wanted for us was, was something that was good. Freedom is something that we value. Uh, being able to uh, have meals to, to sustain our bodies, to live another day, that is a very good thing. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Clear instructions. Healthy relationships are, are birthed out of clear expectations. And then God says, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, I don't know about you, but I appreciate <laughs> clear instructions from areas or potential things that could cause harm in my life. And so whether it be the freedom that God was providing or the meals that God was providing or the clear instructions to avoid death that God was providing, in the beginning, it's clear that God was for Adam, that God was for humanity. But let me clear up some confusion with this account. Sometimes when this story is told, God comes across like a bait and switch salesman, like he overpromised and underdelivered. At one point, Kirsten and I lived in a neighborhood that had some model homes nearby. And on our dates, we would go and walk the model homes just for fun. And when you go into model home, you see all of the best, right? All of the upgrades. It was always interesting to look at what the base model provided. And it's like, you could have all of this, but with your budget, you can have that. Same thing happens in car commercials. You see the car commercial, wow, that's a great looking vehicle. You show up to the dealership, it's like, yeah, that's like the XL SE super premium model. Um, our base model, this is what you would get for your budget. And single people, you get this, you know, it's Friday night, you're alone at home, you wish you were at home with someone, and then that dating ad pops up. 
single people, you know this. You know, it's something like uh, attractive, single, successful Christians.com. And you're looking and they're beautiful. They look successful. They look happy. You're thinking, Jesus, get me some of that. So you fill out a profile and you, you log on to meet some of these people. And you're thinking, wait, what? Uh, these people don't look like the people that I saw in the ad. That is not what's happening here in the garden. Remember, God made all the trees and all the trees were pleasing to the eyes. It's not like the the knowledge of, of good and evil. That tree was like the mansion and all of the houses, other houses on the lot were like the hood. No, it was the tree in the middle and all of them were pleasing to the eye. But Satan shows up and his, his, you know, mission objective is to destroy any and every relationship that God has with his creation. And so Satan shows up and he says to the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Any good salesman knows, you know, get mama on board and papa will follow. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Ooh, fact checked, fact checked. Nope, you know, Adam, where are you at, brother? It was your job to make sure that the instructions were clear. Uh, So Satan goes to work. You must not touch it or you will die. And so Satan says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, you know, he was crafty. So he said, listen, me and God, we used to be tight. We used to spend a lot of of time together. And, you know, we had a falling out. And, you know, it wasn't so, yeah, yeah, God didn't take me out. He's not going to take you out. God's just not playing all of his cards. You're experiencing his poker face. Just, Just trust me. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's behind door number three? Is it a new car? No, you can be like God. Are you catching the manipulation here? You see, here's the lie. The lie is this, that God is trying to take something from you. And when life feels like it's spinning out of control and you have this awareness of, of how much in life is outside of your influence, this is the lie that we often choose to believe. If God is so good, if he's king, if he's sovereign, if he's loving, why doesn't he provide that job? Why doesn't he provide that relationship? Why doesn't he provide that cure? Why doesn't he change that situation? Why doesn't he change these circumstances? God is holding out on me. I don't get it. What the reality is, is that from the beginning, the clear instruction that God provided to Adam and Eve was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for this reason, because it would destroy the number one thing that God wants for us. You see, the number one thing that God wants for you and that God wants for me, the number one thing that God wants for you is confidence in him. The number one thing that God wants for you is confidence in him. If you, when you read about the prophets in the Old Testament, and, and even if you spend some time in the Psalms, especially if you read from, from King David, you know, King David says, you know, I'm at the bottom of a pit. Uh, my, my enemies have me surrounded and my friends have betrayed me. And then he says, darkness is my closest friend. Darkness is my only friend. God, where are you at? Can I trust you? Are you there? And then you read about the, the period of, of Israel and slavery, 400 years. That's 10 generations, twice as long as the U.S. has been in existence, waiting on, God, are you there? Can we trust you? 
And then there was a period of 400 years between the time that, that God last spoke through a prophet and the arrival of Jesus. 400 years. God, are you there? Can we trust you? Can we, can we place our, you know, can we, should we continue to place our confidence in you? What, are you? what are you doing? Isaiah described this time as sitting in darkness. Listen, it's been six months of COVID. Imagine 400 years. I'm not helping, right? That's not the thing that you wanted to hear when you tuned in for church today. Okay, forget I ever said that. Upstate New Yorkers, you might recognize this picture. Here's a famous tightrope uh, walker. Uh, he was famous for crossing the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and then that wasn't good enough, so he did it on a bicycle, and that wasn't good enough, so he juggled across. And then the next day, the story goes that he showed up with a wheelbarrow, and he said to the crowd, hey, how many of you think that I could take this wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow uh, across the tightrope? And everyone's like, well, we've already seen what you can do. So yeah, absolutely. And he says, great. Which of you is the first one to volunteer to get in? Who wants to go first? I share this story to say that Jesus asked you and he asked me to get into the wheelbarrow, to give up, our desire to control and say, Jesus, I trust you. Uh, wherever you want to take me in life, I'm with you. And the reason why I would say for me personally, I am willing to place my confidence in him is the resurrection. You see, the apostle Paul said it this way. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. So a couple key things. One, that this was something that was foretold that was going to happen, and it happened the way that it was foretold. It was a prophecy coming to fruition. That's something that makes us lean in and say, that's trustworthy. But then what about the evidence? Well, Cephas was a real person that you can go and have a conversation with. The 12 disciples were, were real people that you could go have a conversation with. And even if you said, well, they had a hidden agenda, of course they would want to pull, pull a fast one, and it could be a conspiracy. Fair enough. But for a conspiracy for 500 people? After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then Paul says, most of whom are still living. If you don't believe me, go ask them. Though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, which is Jesus's brother. I mean, if my brother said, hey, you know, um, Jesus, I'd say, no, you're not. And if he rose from the dead, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna lean into what you have to say. And then, then to all the apostles, including the apostle Paul, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. In other words, you remember who I was before I was Paul. I was the guy that was, you know, waving the flag saying Christians need to be abolished. Christians need to be done away with. And then because he had an encounter with Jesus, his whole life changed. And if you take the evidence from the scriptures and put that aside, there are skeptics and scholars that have historically documented the resurrection. You see, where we're going in the weeks ahead is this idea of what faith is and what faith is not. Biblical faith is active reliance on what we know to be true. Not what we hope to be true, but what we know to be true. It's documented, it's historical. And that's why here at Eastern Hills in the weeks to come, you're gonna hear more about groups because we want you to step into groups so that we can continue to grow in knowledge of what is true. And that we're gonna encourage you to participate in private disciplines to continue to grow your trust and dependence on God.
In fact, our second highest priority as a church, I shared last week that our first priority is to help those that are disconnected from God find connection in Christ. But our second highest priority is that those who do attend Eastern Hills manifest Christian practices uh, in their homes, neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. Well, what does that mean? When we talk about Christian practices, we're talking about regular rhythms that we have in our life that help us grow and trust in Christ. Things like prayer and scripture reading, spiritual conversations, generosity, being present, reconciliation, hospitality, caring for the poor and needy, corporate worship, and honoring others and rest. But if you've been to church before, if you've listened to a sermon before, you'd probably say, yep, I would expect a pastor to say that those are things that I should be doing. So let me give you five steps then to avoid the number one thing that God wants for you. Here are five easy steps to avoid placing your confidence in him. Five steps to avoid the number one thing that God wants for us. Number one, spend less time with God and more time with Siri, Google, and Alexa. Number two, never take any ownership and always blame God. It's real simple. This is something anyone can do. Hang around people often critical of God and seldom encouraging of God. Number three, you can do this. Uh, Buy more, sleep less, and prioritize treating yourself instead of others. This will make you very uncomfortable in your relationship with God. Number four, or number five, uh, and probably the most important of all, if you really want to avoid the number one thing that God wants for you is to love this world more than God. Now, I almost added to the list root for the Buffalo Bills, but I, but I figured that was, that was obvious. <laughs> if, if I follow these five steps, you, you will be, uh, if I were to follow these five steps, I would be extremely uncomfortable Uh, with any notion that God is in control and that I am not. Now, the alternative to this thinking is what comes with placing our confidence in King Jesus. Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. See, this is a promise that as we place our confidence in King Jesus, we experience the fruit of that decision. It may not always be instant and we'll often have to wait and wait and wait. But God ultimately promises that we'll experience the goodness that comes from placing our confidence in him. I was reminded this week of something that Jesus said and that you know our physical being, you might use the word flesh, our flesh is weak, our, our physical selves is weak, our, is weak but the spirit is willing. And that when God sent out the disciples and he said, you know, you're going to reach people for me. He said, you're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, in this past week, as I reflected, hey, that's something that I wish I could do again. I wish I could go back and change what I said and and how I responded in that moment. I was reminded of once again that, that my flesh will fail me. But... It's not up to my own strength and my own power to, to, to continue to have confidence in my creator. God has given us the, the, the spirit, the spirit of God that moves through us and in us and around us. And that spirit of God is what helps us be used by him to draw other people into the presence of Christ. 
And so if you're in a season of transition, and if you're in a season where you just feel like this is an impossible situation that you don't have the strength right now to have the confidence in him, know that it's not up to your ability. That God has given you a power greater than yourself to place your confidence in him. And more so that when we place our confidence in him, he doesn't say that you're going to experience the fruit of that in the afterlife or the life to come. He says that you will experience the fruit of that decision right now here in this moment. When we place our confidence in the one who is in control. Psalm 27, 13 says it this way. I remain confident of this, that I will see, I will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we have our time come to an end, I pray that this week that you would bring many, many, many examples to the surface of all of those times and both in the scriptures and even just in our life experience where you have shown yourself to be worthy, that we're not placing our faith in you as just something that we wish will, will prove to be beneficial to us, that we know that it's truth, it's, it's, it's verifiable, it's, it's evidence, it's life experience, it's encounters that we've had with your people and with you along the way, that you are worthy of our trust and that when we place our confidence in you, that we get to experience your goodness. We get to experience more of you. And that the resurrection of your son, Christ Jesus, is the very evidence of Psalm 27, 13 coming to fruition. So Father, I pray for that person this morning that finds themselves in that impossible situation. I pray for that person this morning that sees themselves in, in tragedy. And when is this gonna come to an end? That you would remind them of who you are that you would help them identify that fear and that anxiety and that frustration. And you would help them take that step to place their confidence in you. To get in the wheelbarrow and say, Jesus, all right, here we go. <laughs> I'm nervous. I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I'm gonna move forward in faith and confidence of who you are. And I pray these things in the power of his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.